0: This morning, we're gonna begin a series on living a life ablaze for God. Some of you might ask, what does living a life ablaze mean? To live ablaze means to be eager, to be zealous or burning with enthusiasm. Sometimes we speak of lighting a fire under someone, by which we mean motivating that person or urging them to action. My hope is that through this series, that it will stir up a passion and a zeal within you for God that is greater than you have experienced before. Let's begin this morning by looking at a few scriptures. We'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read through uh, 6 and 7. It begins by saying, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God, that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And in verse seven, it says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And in Luke chapter 11, and in verse 36 in the New Living Translation, it says, you are filled with light, with no dark corners, Then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Something miraculous happens when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. The Bible says that the light of God shines in our hearts. Jesus said that when we are filled with this light, our whole life will be radiant, flooded with his light. As Christ's light floods our hearts that light begins to rid our lives of those things which would inhibit him in our lives. Those who abide in Christ will shine bright, living their life ablaze for him as more and more of those things in their lives which aren't of him are burned away. But anyone who resists the light of Christ, who resists the Holy Spirit working in their hearts, those places where we hinder that light remain dark. The danger in this is that by cordoning off areas of our lives from God, that resistance will cause us to grow cold to him, and it actually causes separation from God. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 5, in verses 6 and 7, it says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Well, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's referencing bread, of course, and maybe some of us have baked bread, made bread before. But if you add just a little yeast to bread, it will cause the entirety of the dough to ferment. And to rise. That yeast affects the entirety of it. If you allow, likewise in your life, if you allow any darkness into your life, even a little bit, that darkness will infect your life. What we allow into our lives, what we hold on to, might seem innocent enough, but if we are in resistance to the Holy Spirit by cordoning off areas of our lives, then we're in resistance to God. Making Jesus the Lord of your life means that you surrender every part to him. If you withhold an area of your life, you're withholding a part of your heart, and by refusing to surrender those parts, this causes our passion for Christ to grow dim. This will cause that fire that we have inside for Christ to diminish. And if we're not careful, that that fire may be extinguished. I've seen this happen in people's lives. Some want it both ways. They want to have one foot in the kingdom of God and the other foot in the kingdom of this world. But we can't have it both ways. We're either submitted to Jesus or we're submitted to this dark world. In the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Jesus addressed seven different churches. He addressed the loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church. These are all real lovely, right? And the faithful church. We're going to be like the faithful church. And then he addressed the lukewarm church. To the lukewarm church, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3 in verses 15 and 16. He said, I know your works, but you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is a difficult statement but i don't think that any of us like anything half-hearted do we if you had visited me in my home and i made you a cup of lukewarm tea how many of you would appreciate that and even enjoy that cup of tea probably not many of you my guess is that none of you would you'd probably say pastor brad i'd like to may i use your microwave i i need to uh heat up my tea please If I'm only in my marriage half-hearted, I'm not going to make my wife very happy, more than likely, am I? That's going to cause serious problems in our marriage, isn't it? Pastor Amy wants me to be in our relationship wholeheartedly. If I were to pastor this church only half-heartedly, none of you more than likely are going to appreciate that, are you? I'd expect that you'd probably be pretty disappointed in me. If I'm at work and my employer isn't going to appreciate my only giving a half-hearted effort. Well, let me say it like this. If I'm watching the Rugby World Cup and Ireland is only playing half-hearted, the entire country is probably going to riot, right? You get my point. No one likes half-hearted no one appreciates lukewarm. Listen to what James says in uh, the first chapter, in verse 5 through 8. James chapter 1, in verse 5 through 8. He says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. In the Passion Translation, I like what it says in verse 8, it says, When you're half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable that half-heartedness and wavering is going to negatively impact your relationship with God. James says that it'll impact your ability to receive anything from Him. In fact, he says you shouldn't expect to receive something from Him. It's going to sabotage your relationship and cause walls between you and God. Now, I don't think any of us here want that. We're all here this morning, because we desire to be closer to God. We need that proximity with him. John Wesley wrote this regarding his own personal concerns regarding the fire of God eventually waning in the church that he had founded. He said this, he said, my fear is not that our movement will cease to exist. It's that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement and the supernatural element that makes us great. How many of us see that in churches today, where we become content to live without a move of the Holy Spirit, to live without the power of God and the excitement and the and the supernatural element of God in our churches, in our services, in our lives that that make us great. In two Timothy. Chapter 3, in verse 5, the Apostle Paul warned of how people would behave in the last days. In verse 5, he writes that there will be those who have a form of godliness, but deny its power and from such people turn away. In the New Living Translation, it says that they act religious, but reject the power that could make them godly. That sounds a lot like someone who's lukewarm. They're half-hearted. Those who may talk the talk, but don't really walk the walk. You know what I'm saying? They act religious, but don't truly know God, and that causes them to be unstable. The most important relationship in your life, first and foremost, is having a personal relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about religion here, but a very personal relationship with God. These two things are very different. Religion has a form of godliness, but is absent of the power that can make you godly. When you look at the religions of this world, the most common denominator is what you can do to obtain God's favor and forgiveness. It's based upon your endeavors instead of upon Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross for you. But those endeavors, those religious works and good deeds can never be enough. That's because salvation has nothing to do with our works. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 in the New Living Translation and, and see why that is. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Our efforts can never be enough, no matter how good, no matter how noble, no matter how pure or how good intentioned they may be. The fact remains that our righteousness still remains unrighteous, because it has been infected by sin. You remember what Jesus stated in John 14:6. He said, That I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus states very definitively that he is the only way to the father this is because of the reality of who he is and what he alone has done he is the only person in all of history who has never sinned and remained righteous it's only through his righteousness that we're able to receive salvation we will never be able to receive salvation through our our righteousness because We're unrighteous. That's called self-righteousness when we're trying to seek salvation through our righteousness. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, 14. He said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it the way to god is narrow because there is no other option that option is jesus alone but wide is the gate to destruction it's so wide because it's quite literally every other option but they all lead to the same place away from god toward destruction what god desires isn't our religious activity at all what he desires is a relationship. He created us for fellowship, not for dictatorship. He isn't his will isn't to rule us, but it's to love us. You can't have a relationship with God through religion, because there always remains the issue of our unrighteousness, which forever causes separation. If we want to live a life ablaze for Christ, then those walls must come down. And those walls will only come down through Christ. Living a life ablaze begins with having a personal relationship with the Lord and is only found through Jesus. It's not based upon what you can do, but upon faith in what Jesus has already done for you. In James 4.8, it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That proximity to God causes us to both live our lives ablaze and causes us to remain ablaze. The interesting thing about proximity is that you will never live your life ablaze with Christ if you're not in proximity to Him. That proximity to God burns away all the rubbish in our lives, which hinder us and trip us up. Have you ever heard the expression, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are? Who you choose to have proximity with tells everything. It tells the entire story. When we make the decision to have proximity with God, our entire life changes. We become set ablaze with a passion and a zeal for the things of God. But what do you think happens when we lose that proximity with God? I'll tell you what happens. That fire begins to burn out. The farther we get from God, the colder we become. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 16 through 19, Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he says this, do not quench the Spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us here not to quench the Spirit. This implies that the Holy Spirit can be quenched in our lives. The word quench comes from the Greek words spenoumi, which means to extinguish to smother, to suppress, to douse, to put out or snuff out. It's the equivalent of extinguishing a fire with water. Paul is warning us not to quench the Spirit of God in our lives. What happens on a cold winter's, cold winters night when we allow the fire in our fireplace to diminish? Begins to get cold, doesn't it? The heat diminishes. If we want that fire to produce the flames which provide us with heat, then we need to keep that fire going. In our home, we have a massive cast iron stove in both sitting rooms. And they take some considerable time to warm up. But when they do, they are absolutely roasting. Sometimes they get so warm and make the room that they're in so warm that we actually have to open a door, sometimes even open a window, because they're so hot. It takes a bit of time to get them there, but it isn't much to maintain that heat. I just add a few more pieces of coal and another log, and we're good. That's a lot like our lives. Sometimes it may take a bit to get us to the place where our life is ablaze for Christ, but once we're there, it's only a matter of proximity and adding the right fuel. Let me share quickly with you 10 fuels from God's Word that will help you to live your life ablaze in Christ. And over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at each of these in a more detail. We're going to study being ablaze with God's Word. We'll begin that one next week. Being ablaze with prayer. Being ablaze with the Holy Spirit. Being in a blaze with worship. being in a blaze for souls. being in a blaze with generosity. A blaze with holiness. A blaze with humility. A blaze under authority. A blaze with the fear of the Lord. And a blaze with the love of God. I'm going to be closing this message in just a moment. But before I do... If I could just have everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to pray together momentarily. I want to encourage you to never allow cold water to be thrown on the flames of your heart. I want to encourage you to have proximity with God. Develop your relationship with Him. Don't let that relationship grow cold. Don't quench the Holy Spirit moving in your heart and in your life. Instead, do everything that you can to throw more fuel on that fire. When you adopt the attitude that you're going to start fueling your fire, consistently utilizing to the fullest all the fuels that God provides, I guarantee you that your inner man will burst into spiritual flames but you're the only one who can choose to add the fuel. You're the only one who can stoke the coals to keep the Holy Spirit's fire burning brightly in your life and in your heart. So I'm going to pray now for you. And while I do, I want you to think of these things. I want you to open your heart and consecrate the entirety of your life to God, Don't cordon off any area of your heart. Don't let any darkness dwell in your heart. Open it all up. Let God's light flood into your heart and shine bright, dispelling any darkness in your life. Let's consecrate our lives to God this morning. Make the commitment to him and yourself, that you're going to pursue him with all of your heart. Amen. Let's pray.